Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash gray. Now, on to the episode. Hi, beautiful people. Today we are talking to the wonderful Hannah Witten. She is a YouTuber, podcaster, author of two books, Doing It and The Hormone Diaries, and a SEX educator. <laughs> we not say the S word. <laughs> the dirty word. Oh no. <laughs> what are we going to do? How are we going to have this conversation? <laughs> no idea. Birds and bees it. <laughs> Euphemisms all the way. <laughs> That would be a funny challenge. That'd be really good. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Um, Yes. So we're going to touch upon a couple different things. One thing I'm very interested to talk about is our expectations about monogamy and relationship and happily ever afters. Um, Ooh, yes. (laughs) And then also, you know, Hannah here has such a phenomenal podcast. I'd love for everyone to go check it out. It's called Doing It. I was a guest one time, which is how we connected. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's so much expertise, so much knowledge that you can glean just from enjoying that podcast. So go subscribe. I'll have the links below. What are some of the things that you learned just by hosting your own podcast? Were there some surprising bits of information that you know? I feel like so much. I've done like 80 odd episodes now, according to my thing. I'm like, really? Um, uh, I'm trying to think of like some things off the top of my head. Um, I did an episode recently with a doctor who um, primarily works in men's health, which was really eye-opening because um, as a woman, as someone with a vulva, like I mostly <laughs> talk to that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and also in the like sexuality field in like the sex ed field, it's, it's mostly women. Um, and so most of my podcast guests have also been women. Um, and so it's kind of exciting getting a man on to talk about penises. <laughs> sure, I would like that. And like, <laughs> and, like learning all of this stuff. And I was just like, this is so interesting like um stuff about um like erectile dysfunction and and viagra oh and also how he he um told me what the actual average is of how long somebody with a penis lasts during intercourse until they like orgasm and it's like two three minutes no way it's and 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 it just like it makes me really happy that it's it's that low, but it makes it me really sad to think of all of these um, young people who are like, if I can't keep my erection for 20, 30, 40 minutes, like an hour, then I am a worthless lover, you know, like then I'm not good in bed. And I'm like, no. (laughs) And also like, if you're the person who is on the receiving end of that, if you're like the person receiving intercourse, then it's like, you know, talk, talk to them because they might not want to be penetrated for 20 minutes straight right <laughs> like the sex as a whole can last however long you want it to last like the penetration can just be a three minute part of it and that is fine you know totally. yes yes I um you're bringing up to mind like some of the 
crazy myths that we've been given. First of all, it sounds like we've both encountered this issue where our educational systems only focused on the body that we have, that we are supposedly meant to understand, which mm -hmm. is so wild to me because we're supposed to be, not supposed to be, but theoretically, a lot of us would be partnering with people with the different kind of body, and yet yeah. we've been remiss and not given that that education on both sides yeah like taking but the that sex away. education that we're receiving is also expecting us to very much be sexual partners with somebody of a different gender as well, well. yes exactly that's a whole <laughs> other story how biased it is and yeah. and yeah it's very rare in the states to have comprehensive fact-based inclusive sex education one of my mm -hmm. dreams would be to make it illegal <laughs> to teach otherwise. Like we are in desperate need of it. Does, do you have the same problems overseas? Like what was your sex education like in school? Um, so it's been a while since I've been in school and things have um, somewhat changed since then. So my sex ed in school, it did exist and it was fact-based, but it was very, um, preventative so it's like here's how not to get pregnant here's how not to get an STI um here's how to not get raped like mm. um like those are the main messages that I remember receiving um but it was it was talked about but it was very fear-mongery um yeah. I remember coming out of a class on STIs that just kind of maintained that stigma around STIs um, that there is like they showed us this <laughs> slideshow of images of genitals that had untreated STIs that had like gone on for a really long time so obviously these are really extreme oh, cases yeah and they were like quite horrifying images and we were a class of 14 year olds um and yeah for years I bought into this stigma that if you got an STI then you were stupid you were d dirty like you know like I bought into that and I know that it's from that class like I know <laughs> I can I, I can connect the dots and it took so much unlearning and so much bravery on the part of friends of mine who had STIs like talking about it openly and me being like oh hang on a second <laughs> this is actually yeah. like kind of normal and if we if it wasn't so if it wasn't made out to be so shameful, then we'd maybe actually have a chance at reducing the spread of STIs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, in terms of like in the UK in schools, it's very hit and miss. Um, some schools do a really great job, um, others not so much, and then like everything in between really. Um, but as of September last year, um, relationships and sex education is now compulsory in schools in England um, and there's like a lot of talk about the government guidance of like what goes into that sex ed there's a lot of loopholes for like faith-based schools there's um oh, not necessary there's like nothing really on pleasure like pleasure isn't a requirement um and there's also no uh like instructions on how like how much sex ed there should be so it's just like by the end of this year kid like students need to know this and so some schools might do a really great job and like integrate it and like have regular classes another school might do like a one hour assembly in the year and just go box ticked we oh my did goodness. it um, yeah. so yeah it's and also now that schools are like okay we we need to add this other thing to the curriculum, this other thing that is mandatory for us to fit in without good enough funding. <laughs> and mm. so, you know, it just, it's just like an extra, whilst it's great that it's like, we've got compulsory sex ed in schools, like amazing. But it's just like, are the schools actually equipped to do it because of the lack of funding in the education system? So, <sighs> <sighs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And so is the plight of a sex educator. I hear yeah. all of your frustration, everything that you're saying. Yeah. Um, it's just so funny because I see England as such a godless place, like in that it's like, a, it seems like a very dogmatic, traditional faith practice with no spirituality to it. And granted, I'm sure that is a, uh, funny. a generalization, but a lot of my British friends are 
exactly that. They're like, yeah, I go to church, but I don't care at all. <laughs> That's so interesting to me. Um, yeah. I don't know if I know many people like that. Most of the people that I grew up with were um, like Jewish atheists like me or just atheists. Um, and when I was at uni, I became friends with Christians and I would say they're more of the spiritual Christians that they, they, they do the stuff, but they're also just like in it, in their hearts as well. Not just like, Oh, I just go to church. They're like, that's great. That's my kind of, so there you go. <laughs> they do exist over here. Nice. <laughs> the God, the Godful. The Godful. Is, that the, is that the opposite of Godless? <laughs> yeah. It's just funny. Cause it's like, okay, so we have the same societal hangups about sex education, which is just interesting. Yeah. Um, so where to begin? I think <laughs> I love that you were talking to this gentleman about male body function. And one thing that came up for me as well is the myths that we're given as people that have sex with men, which is that, you know, if a guy comes too quickly, quote unquote, whatever that might mean to you, or if a mm-hmm. guy cannot get erect, that it somehow says something about you and it's on you. And don't you think I'm pretty? Don't you want me? And I feel bad for both sides of that situation because as we know, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but so much of erectile dysfunction can be psychological, um, not only physical. Mm -hmm. So that said, it's like, then the more the pressure is on, I have to get hard. So she knows that I'm into her and it's like even less likely to happen. Yeah. Vicious cycle. Yeah. So did he have any insight to that to kind of help well, anyone's fear that you're not enough or you're not pretty enough because his body isn't responding. I think part of it is actually reflecting on our own experiences. Hannah, I'm well. so sorry. I have to move my car for street cleaning. My neighbor just called me. I'll be right back. <laughs> no worries. Go for it. Still recording. Message for editing, Brenda. Lovely to see your face. Lovely to chat. <laughs> Having a good time. Got my water. Got my vulva puppet. One of the cool things about this is that, um, so it's got the clit here, and then this is the clit, clitoral hood. And then on the inside, because this, oh, this flower here is the urethra. And then this bit here is like inside, and that's meant to be the G spot because it's like textured. So if you're putting your hands in, you can like, oh, that's where the G-spot is. There you go. How lovely. I wonder if you'll actually see this. <laughs> Having a great time. Thank you. No worries. Hello. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's all right. So, so I think, first of all, one of the important things to do is to reflect on your own experiences because a lot of people who have vulvas who might be sleeping with men or people with penises um, also experience similar things where they might be really turned on, but their vagina is dry Mm. Um, or they um, might get really in their heads um, and worrying about things. So um, they struggle to orgasm. If you kind of, if that's something that you've experienced, then that, means that there is a lot of potential there for empathy for your partner because it's it's kind of all the same thing it's it's all kind of like different variations of performance anxiety yeah Um, so the first thing to remember is that like um you're not alone but also like you and your partner potentially also have a lot of things in common um and there's a lot of um there's like things that you can relate to with each other and it's not something that you have to hide and and definitely opening up to the about it to the person that you're having sex with can lead to these really great, more vulnerable conversations. And then actually like having it all out on the table like that, in theory, can actually make the performance element of it a bit easier. Um, and this is something that I've learned from so many of my guests on my podcast. And <clears throat> it's something that I'm really trying to drill into myself. And also something that I've realized is just so prevalent in how 
we talk about sex as a society and it makes me angry, which is I that can't wait. <laughs> the focus, the focus is on performance and function. So it's like, um, on how big and amazing are your orgasms? How wet can you get? How long can you last? How hard are you? Um, what positions are you able to do? Like, it's all about that. And none of it is about pleasure. Yeah. And if we, if we take a pleasure first approach, take a pleasure first approach, nothing has to actually be working, <laughs> right? There is yeah. no requirement for a, a hard dick or a wet vagina for there to be pleasure. Mm. And you take out that expectation of it all being about performance and function and be like, what feels good? What's fun? What's enjoyable? Like start there. How much more fun. Release all of that anxiety and fear. Those are not good emotions to have in the middle of a sexual situation. No. There's like this goal post that we're like trying to reach. It's like the ultimate sexual act is penis and vagina sex. And so we think that a sexual experience doesn't count, um, isn't worth it, um, wasn't good enough if you don't like hit that goal. Mm. Um Whereas if you actually like expand your definition of sex, one, you can have more sex, (laughs) (laughs) but then also like, you're just gonna um, enjoy it more because you're not striving for something. You're just like in the moment of being like, actually, what do I feel like doing right now? Like, Hey, play with my hair and lick my nipples. That's that's what I'm into right now. Yeah, I love that. I've been talking a lot more recently about expanding our definition of sex, which I know for Christians uh, coming out of evangelicalism or in evangelicalism can be a stressful thing because sex is supposed to be a quote sin. Mm. But I still think it's too valuable not to expand the definition because when you get rid of that shame and fear around sex and the theology of it, which this channel provides plenty of, and I hope we're all digging into our research there. But then after that, like you said, then you're left with this beautiful, just palette of things that you can choose from. It's like a buffet of fun and excitement and pleasure. And also so um, heart opening and eye opening, like just talking to people that are survivors of abuse or trauma in any way you know, sometimes a full-blown penetrative experience isn't what you need on that healing process. Like maybe mm-hmm. you know that your partner is there to like ease into it or to explore other elements of sexuality. It's just, I love that. Yeah. Um, it's I, an it, interesting one. It has the flip side as well. Like if you only see like PIV as real sex, um, then, and this is something that you do often see in religious communities as well, is that um, people will have anal sex. They'll have oral sex. They'll <laughs> yeah. like. They'll just like do all of the other things except for penis and in vagina sex, and just be like, "I am an innocent <laughs> being. I am so pure." Yeah, I know. I've exactly. never even seen a penis because <laughs> it was coming at me from behind. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh. Um, wow. So it's, it's, it's really interesting how it has that like dual effect as well. <laughs> That's really funny. Totally. Yeah. So uh, we don't have to get too much into your personal situation. If you want to talk about relationship more broadly, fine. If you want to bring specifics in, you're welcome to, obviously. But um, before our conversation, we were talking about quarantine and relationship and mm. also just the idea of monogamy and how complicated that narrative that happily ever after we've been given comes with it and and then when life hits you and you're like oh this isn't the things that I've been told so I would just love to hear all of your thoughts surrounding that um because I know you've talked to people that are in non-monogamous relationships and all different kinds of partnerships Mm. so maybe start with like what kind of relationship dynamics do you find in 2021, a lot of your guests or a lot of your followers are kind of diving into, are they exploring different dynamics? Or are they still more prone to monogamy? What are you seeing? I think most people are 
still very much monogamous. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to know like how much of that is just most people are, um, or we're all told to be monogamous. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's and it seems easy and it's just like, okay, great. Um but I do think it's a spectrum as well. I don't think you're either monogamous or not. Like I do, I do think that it's a spectrum. And like one of the things that I come across a lot is um, that in a monogamous relationship or in any, in any any romantic relationship, really, you need to be on the same page as to what cheating would look like in that relationship because a lot of times there is like no conversation about it and you're both going in with your own assumptions about where the the line is right Mm -hmm. um and for one of you it might be like oh i'd feel really betrayed if you watched porn i mean that's a whole other conversation because i don't think that watching porn is cheating but some people might right yeah um or flirting with somebody else or like texting an ex or um like, what if you have a platonic sleepover in the same bed with somebody of the gender that you're attracted to? Like, th- there's all of these kinds of things. And these are conversations that you have to be having with your partner being like, where, where is our line? Like, what are we comfortable with? What are we not? And, and um, one of the things that I'm trying to do in my relationship and things that I'm encouraging people like, oh, people in all kinds of relationships, but specifically people in monogamous relationships is to kind of be like, just because you feel like you're monogamous and you feel like you fit the monogamy box, you're like not interested in non-monogamy, you're not interested in polyamory, fine. But your version of monogamy can be whatever you want it to be. Um, Whereas we kind of like have these rules of like, well, you should get jealous if they do X, Y, and Z. And like, they have to meet all of your needs Um, but your version of monogamy can be whatever you want it to be like you can craft and mold your relationship because it's entirely unique even if you do fit into a monogamous box um that that can be on the inside like whatever suits you um yeah yeah. that's one of the things that kind of like irks me is that we kind of go okay, I'm just going to accept all of these things and all of these ways that I think relationships should be without questioning it and without looking to our partner or partners and going, what do we want to do? Yeah. (laughs) What makes sense for us? Same thing with the actual sex that you were just referring to. Right, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's like customizing your own relationship and not in in a way that really, really genuinely works. And also I think they're brilliant questions to ask for long-term relationships because Mm -hmm. I find so often things look like such a giant monster in my imagination. Things can seem so scary and overwhelming. Like if you're at dinner with your boyfriend and he looks at the waitress for a couple seconds too long, that can become a huge trigger in your brain. You can be afraid that he's going to cheat on you, all of these other things. I find it so much more beneficial to just find a safe time to relax, to get together and just be like, okay, I have some triggers from my past. I feel weird. If you look at a person a certain way, like what are your desires? Like, Mm -hmm. like, and just actually try to excavate each other and find out what those boundaries are. Cause like you said, it can be as extreme as like, don't look at the waitress. But even then I come back to like, how much does this perfect ideal of monogamy actually work versus like when we're just driving each other so crazy with these rules and and Mm -hmm. not allowing even an inch of flirtation or an inch of exploration in any direction yeah um even just the pleasure of like beholding someone that you find attractive you know I think that a lot of it comes from our own comfortability of where we find ourselves as people and also Mm -hmm. finding a partner that you genuinely trust not break all of your rules that you guys set together yeah I remember something that someone said to me like years ago which was that um like love isn't a feeling it's a choice um and that really resonates with me in a long-term relationship as well because like I catch feelings for people 
a lot. I'm like, <laughs> oh, they're nice. Oh, I got a little crush on them. Like, oh, and I'm a very flirtatious person. The pandemic has cut that off from me, which has been very frustrating. Oh, me too. Um, and, but I'm, I'm in a place in my relationship where I can like talk about that with my partner where I'm like, oh, I've just got the itch to like meet someone new and like flirt with somebody and like, <laughs> and like, I just want to do these things. Um, and we can kind of like talk about that and it's not a threat to the relationship because ultimately like I choose to be with him every day. It's like, I, I choose to love you and I choose to you know, be in this partnership with you. This is like what I have, have chosen. And it's not a hard choice, like still, but it's still a choice. Um, I, that's how I feel about it anyway. Um, yeah. and if you, if you trust that, cause, cause feelings we can't control, right. That's another thing that I've learned. We, that's something that like, especially if you're like, Oh my God, look how attractive that person is and suddenly you're just like overwhelmed <laughs> by like somebody's presence and you're like holy shit and like you're just overcome by it like you can't control that you can control then like what you do with that feeling and like how you proceed from there um and you can choose um how you talk to your partner and how you you know interact with them because of how you're moving through the world and all of that kind of stuff um yeah yeah I think (laughs) oh no you're golden um I'm just remembering too like that we can go into shame after having those feelings as well um Mm -hmm. you have a partner that is threatened or intimidated by you having an emotional reaction to another human being or another situation um that can really weigh on you when you, when that feeling comes up and then you're like, Oh, and go way too deeply into it. Like you can just go down that rabbit trail and be like, am I a bad person? Is it true that I want to be? And, but I've, and I don't want to generalize, but I've only found that in very unhealthy relationships of mine. So I'm really curious from you as an expert in this field, how do you recognize the difference between going on a journey with someone and really discovering these desires and and lines and boundaries together versus being able to recognize when your partner is not going to be able to come with you on that journey but if you do have a desire to be a certain thing especially if you've been in a long-term relationship and you're finding desires the roads are going in different directions or or even that you're just sick of being repressed in certain ways and you want to feel more free yeah. Oh my goodness. That's so, so tough. Um, I feel like this is something for a therapist and I will start off by saying not therapist. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to give the like, Hey, I'm your pal. If you came to me, like with that, I'm your like knowledgeable friend. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh, I think that sometimes you you might even get to that position where you're like feeling like you're at this crossroads because you haven't been having those incremental conversations as you go. Mm. So that's maybe why you're feeling potentially trapped or potentially just like confused and um, worried that if you bring something up to your partner, like whatever that may be like, oh, I want to try this thing or um, like actually... I, you know, might want to restructure our relationship in this way. Um, you're, you don't actually know how they feel about that. And so you're scared of what their response is going to be because you've never spoken about it before. Um, and so that's like one situation. And maybe we can talk about what you'd do in that situation. But if you're like at the beginning of a relationship and you want to kind of like build those blocks from the beginning having these kind of like meta conversations about your relationship are so important and they, they don't have to be like, okay, we're going to sit down we're going to talk about the relationship. Um, <laughs> it can just be like these little things that happen here and there. It can be like in reaction to TV shows that you watch together. Like there might be, a, what if there's like a, uh, like an infidelity storyline on a TV show or a poly storyline on a TV show. And you're like, what do you think of that like oh like uh, you know kind of like constant waters (laughs) yeah testing things um and then also the way that I think about it is that the the dialogue 
is always open. So it's not a case of there is absolutely no dialogue about what the relationship is, about what you want out of a relationship, what you want out of life, like all of those kinds of like deeper meaning conversations. Um, it's not that it, it shouldn't be the case that the door is closed on them and then you have to come knocking. You have to go, excuse me, I would like to have this conversation because that can be terrifying because you see this massive door and you're like, oh my God, how do I even approach this door, right? Whereas if you, you know, can build a relationship from the beginning where that door is just always open and um, a really great way to maybe start a conversation if you haven't been able to already is instead of, someone said this to me recently and I was like, that is genius. And it might've been someone on my podcast, but also (laughs) I was like, where did I hear this thing? Um, they said, uh, instead of just diving straight into the conversation of like, um, so for example, you want to have a threesome, right? That might be the example. Um, instead of going to your partner, like, uh, I want to have a threesome. Can we talk about it? Right. Oof, <laughs> that's a lot. Maybe what you could do is, um, go, uh, approach them and say, Hey, there's something that I really want to talk about. It's kind of important. When would be a good time for you? So they are prepared that there is going to be like um, something that is important to you that they want to talk to you about. You can also reassure them, be like, I'm not breaking up with you, by the way. Like, don't worry. Like, you can say whatever like it is, but just be like, hey, there's something really important to me that I want us to chat about. Um, And if you then ask them, like, when is a good time for you? Um, then you're not like putting it on them when you don't know what is going on in their head. Maybe they just had like a really stressful day at work. Maybe, Mm. you know, they just got off the phone to a family member and that was really stressful. Like you just don't know. Whereas if you could then say to them like, Hey, when are you going to be in a good mind, mind space, um, to, to like have this kind of conversation with me and like be there with me. Um, and then you can go from there. Um, and they can like, ask any questions about how to prep (laughs) for the meeting (laughs) wow okay (laughs) um but yeah for me it's just all about having that open dialogue and it just and it just being constantly there um and also using hypotheticals can be quite uh useful being like oh how would you feel if blah 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 or like if you were in a relationship and this happened like what would rather than like making it about your relationship kind of being like I do that with my partner all the time like we'll be watching something on tv and I'll be like if that was you how would you act if that scenario just there that we just witnessed and you were this character what would you do mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah all these little getting to know you sort of exercises I think you're doing a great job too is presenting it as something playful and and potentially just lighthearted and and Mm -hmm. full of life and I think that you're reminding me of uh Shan Buderam she's also a sex educator love her yeah she's great and she has been long time has been saying for a long time that she's in an open relationship and I remember watching some of the interviews about it and people were so mad because her and her partner who is now her husband had never slept with anyone else had never done anything quote unquote with anyone else and people were like, how can you say you're in an open relationship? You haven't even practiced it or done anything with it. But she really described what you're saying, which is that the door is open. And I really liked that just as a concept, because for me, I'm always growing and morphing and changing in ways that I, I never want to be inhibited from. My religious upbringing was obviously very inhibiting. And I'm mm-hmm. not just talking about sexuality at all. I'm talking about me as a woman, how I present in the world, how I want to be, what I want to do with my life. But saying I'm open, like I've always been open to life. I'm open to getting on a plane (laughs) when Corona's over and going to some weird town. Like I am generally really open. So when she said that, I was like, I love that. Because to me, it says we're in a safe space together. We are in this together, but that door of communication is open. And I think that's so beautiful too, because if it is open and you are going on different paths at a certain point in life or having different desires, the door is open. And that was, that was readily available for you to talk about together. 
Yeah. I bet though, this is stirring a lot of fear in some people. Um, if they are Maybe. going through certain things or if they're worried that their partner wants an open relationship or a different dynamic, I know personally a lot of men in LA who call themselves non-monogamous and they're really just undercover fuckboys. <laughs> <laughs> undercover fuckboys, yeah. Um, There's always going to be people who will manipulate a label like that in order to get what they want without actually like putting in the work to do it ethically yeah um, can you explain what um what it means to be in an ethical relationship yeah well that's kind of like a term that's thrown around a lot which is like ethical non-monogamy um and so ethical non-monogamy means that like everybody is on the same page um like there is an agreement there there um there is no like so cheating is whatever you would define it in that relationship it might be um uh like any any form of betrayal or lie basically um mm. and so it's like defining those um and sticking to it <laughs> I mean, you can have an ethical monogamous relationship as well, I guess. Um, but ethical non-monogamy, in my understanding, because I'm not someone who um, practices it, um, but I'm fascinated by it. I'm just like, oh, like anytime, uh, <laughs> like I can get my hands on one of my polyamorous friends, I'm just like, explain it to me. You have multiple shared Google calendars. I like that, you know? Oh, wow. <laughs> like, a lot oh, yes. of organization. Okay. Honestly, like that's one of the things that always comes up is just like the time management. I'm like, wow like the shared google calendars i'm just like i love it um yeah. but it's yeah it's making sure that everybody is on the same page and everybody um there's a real like discussion about what um the boundaries are what um the rules are or you know like what you're comfortable with and you can get like as specific as um like we can have sex without a condom but you can't you have to use a condom with other partners right and then you know that they're sleeping with the partners, but a breach of that trust would be then if you then had unprotected sex with one of those other partners, right? So it, it you know, it can get real specific. Yeah, and it sounds like it would have to be because there's so many different variables because it is true. Like I talk so much, obviously, about the black and white versus the gray and mm. monogamy has so many good black and whites where you can just be like, we don't do this, but we yeah. do but I think it's cool that we address that even within a monogamous relationship, there can still be so many things that are either triggering or exciting to you and your partner. And, and those are not only good to address, but could be fun to address. And then if you're breaking out of that and moving into this very gray space, you're probably going to have to have way more conversations and way more organization, way more. I don't know if I want to say way more trust because I'm sure you and your partner also have plenty of trust. Yeah, but I feel like all of these things that we think are exclusive to like the polyamorous community in terms of like openness, communication, trust. I'm like, not, that shouldn't shouldn't be exclusive like to the poly community. That like monogamous people, we need to step up and <laughs> learn. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that you said that because I think there's so much to be learned from the kink community for people that even just want traditional relationships because when you look mm -hmm. at the rules of the BDSM community and the communication it's it's really stunning and beautiful when you realize because it is such a vulnerable maybe strange space for people it requires that much and we are remiss and it's unfortunate that we don't go that deep in our monogamous quote traditional relationships because they're just yeah. as worthy and can be just as complicated this is something that I've been thinking a lot about recently, like, because I'm in a monogamous relationship, I'm a cis woman, and I'm straight, right? So there are, you know, there's a ton of boxes in society that I fit into. And one of the things that I realized is that if you are someone who fits into a um, prescribed role for you, like what society has gone, this is what is normal, this is what is custom, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you fit into that, you then don't really think much deeply about it. Whereas if you are LGBT or if you are kinky um, or if you are poly, you then 
are almost like forced to think a bit more deeply about your sexuality, about your um, gender, about um, the roles that you want to play in your relationships, um, about what, um, you know, like what a, what kind of relation, like what kind of relationships you want, like how, you know, you communicate about these things. Like you, you're put into a situation where because you don't fit society's mold, you then have to create it yourself. And so you do yeah. a lot more introspective thinking. You do a lot more um, like self-examination. Um, and I, I don't want to dismiss like the, discrimination that also comes along with that and the stigma and um and the oppression because that is that is real um and there uh, there is also this this element of it as well um and people like me don't often then go do the same introspection and do that yeah. same work we just kind of go okay I guess, I guess I, um, I fit society's mold. I guess, I guess, I'm, <laughs> I guess, I guess I don't really have to examine myself at all. And it's like, no, you absolutely should. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look at our divorce rates everywhere. You know, it's, it's not working just blindly yeah. being like, okay, I'm doing this. I'm going to be fine. It's not necessarily true. I realized too, while you're talking about it, one of the main things I was able to articulate in my relationship is that I never want to be made a fool out of. I realized mm. of all things, that was the one thing that really upset me. So, you know, I would encourage anyone that has like bubbling of emotions or past traumas or past heartbreaks. Like I do think there's a way to get in there and really articulate what it is. So I realized when my husband cheated on me, it was the humiliation. It was the fact that his friends knew before I did. It was the fact that people were smiling at me that knew what was happening while it was happening. Mm. I hated, hated that humiliation. Like, please never make a fool out of me. If you have feelings about someone, if you are feeling inclined to do something, if you are feeling strange or want to escape mm -hmm. in some way, please let me be the first to know, not the last. Yeah. 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 That's such a big one. And that's such a um, really great point about figuring out what the underlying reason for maybe any anxieties that you have or um, worries that you have, like, not just like, oh, I'm scared you're going to leave me or I'm scared you're going to cheat on me. It's like, okay, why? Like what? Yeah. It, is it like you said, you don't want to be made a fool out of, you don't want to be humiliated um, or is it um, uh, a fear of rejection uh, is it a fear of uh, like not feeling like you're worthy of love? Like there, there's so many, it could be a mixture of them, you know? Um, and that or also, even like, your health too, jeopardizing your health. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like the same with something like jealousy as well. Jealousy is something that is romanticized and it is, <laughs> and it shouldn't be. Amen. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> like it's just something that I remember like hearing as a teenager of like oh well he must love me because he gets really jealous yeah <laughs> I just and now when I think about that I'm like oh no run away <laughs> please leave um but but jealousy I'm not saying that's a bad emotion but jealousy there's some, something is causing that jealousy and that's what you need to get to the root of um is it like again like um, fear, sadness, loneliness, um, you know, rejection, like what actually is causing that jealousy um, and being open about that. And sometimes you might not be able to articulate it straight away. Like how long did it take you to realize that? Oh, then, like, five, six, it? seven, eight years. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It can take a while. Um, and one thing that I've also realized recently that kind of like ties into this about communication, right? Um, we're always saying as sex educators, like communication is so important. But then also we've got to acknowledge communication is fucking hard. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, it is mm -hmm. so hard. Um, and often the examples that we have of communication in like TV shows and movies is either really horrible, terrible communication where there's like hostility and complete misunderstandings and not really coming together to try and really understand each other or there's just no communication like completely absent and I think having like perfect communication like doesn't it doesn't exist 
And the examples that actually we need to see is when two people fumble through it and they, and it's messy and uh, someone says something and someone's like kind of hurt by it. And then they go, Oh no, that's, that came out wrong. Mm. I meant to kind of say it like this. And then the other person goes, Oh, okay. I think that makes more sense now. Can I just clarify? Like, did you mean this? I'm like, Oh, I don't know. I, I feel like this, but I don't know what the word is. Like, like that's what we need to normalize. Granted, it doesn't make a great script for, <laughs> for a movie. Um, but with the jealousy thing, like, even if you're not ready to, understand like where that feeling is you can't quite grasp it and you can't quite um articulate it at least being able to say okay you doing this made me feel jealous i don't know why i haven't quite figured it out yet but i feel jealous and i don't like this feeling um and i really like you and i don't want to feel like this again and maybe we can try and figure out what's going on here and why I'm feeling this way. And if it's to do with what you did or if it's to do with my own fears, you know, like you don't have to have all of the answers, but you have to at least try when it comes to talking about these things. Yeah. Uh, So I know we're nearing the end. Thank you so much. I feel like, and I'm sure this isn't a quick answer, but I'm really curious from your expertise, what's a good order in which to conquer these obstacles? Because we've touched on so many things because it's like recognizing a toxic relationship, I think is maybe first and foremost, because I've just come from so many of those experiences where Mm. if you're pushing a boulder up a hill and you just cannot get your partner to communicate and their triggers are, are too raw and beaten and you're not going to be able to like move through that, I feel like without therapy, like you said, or without a willingness to move forward, Mm. you might have to absolutely just remove yourself from that relationship because I do think you should always be growing. Um, And then you'll be able to get to the lines of communication you're talking about, which is like even imagining having someone of enough like fortitude and kindness to sit down and receive the kind of information that you were just giving, like, you made me jealous. And then that person doesn't immediately try to defend themselves or try to make excuses. Yeah. No, no, talking and being able to receive that information is another thing that you've got to work on as well. Yeah. You're so right. Exactly. So it's like, what is the path you think to, to wholeness? If someone is just out at sea, like, I don't know if I'm in the right relationship. I don't know how to welcome this kind of communication. Mm -hmm. How do you conquer this beast? Like one step at a time. Um, this is going to seem like a cop-out answer, but the more (laughs) I hear from people's experiences and the more I read about this kind of stuff, I honestly think the answer is listening to your gut. Mm. Um, our gut, it knows shit before we do. Yeah. Like we will get a knot in our stomach days, weeks, months before our brain goes, oh, I need to leave this relationship. This isn't going anywhere. Mm. But your stomach, that pit feeling, that like sickness, that anxiety, it figured it out months ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. Or like, um, or that the, the same kind of feeling, that same feeling in your gut of like, I need to broach this topic with my partner. Um, and you might be sitting on it for however however long um but there's just been this knot in your stomach this entire time um and you haven't really like investigated it and then it all just comes bubbling up um and so yeah listen to your gut if you've got that like ball of anxiety that butterflies that knot in your stomach um listen to that first thought that you have like if a if a partner like says something to you or does something and then like you have your initial reaction to it, like, listen to that. Like, it might not be right, but but don't ignore it because sometimes you can then, like, try and, like, oh, this is tricky because sometimes I'm, like, we can actually rationalize our way out of, like, our first initial emotion that maybe wasn't appropriate. Oh, well, but I it's, know. like, but then again, I think <laughs> our gut will kind of, like, when, when we make the right decision for ourselves, right, our mind and our gut align 
Yeah. Like, you know, if that moment, like before you make a decision and you're like so nervous about it and it could be about a relationship, it could be about work, it could be about like moving to a different country, like who knows what it is, like any kind of big life decision. Um, and you're like so anxious and then it happens and you feel elated, right? Yeah. And so that's when it's kind of like all lined up and yeah, listen, listen to your gut. That was a really long-winded way of saying, just like, listen to your gut. (laughs) No, it's, that's invaluable. And your intuition. Yes. Yes. Um, which also in our faith practice, we call Holy Spirit. It's all the same thing. This, this presence of divinity or of higher self that wants the best for your life. I 100% Mm -hmm. believe that. And you do, you do know, and it's, there's so many opportunities that to talk yourself out of that and to reason your way out of it. But you're right. It's, it's going to gnaw at you until you change it from my experience. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. Just investigate it because you might have that feeling and you've got no idea what it is about. True. <laughs> um, and so, but by listening to it, uh, noticing when it comes up um, and really being like, okay, what's going on here? Let's try and figure this out. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Hannah, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate your voice and your energy and your expertise and the joy that you bring surrounding this topic. (laughs) I really, again, highly recommend anyone checking out this podcast because any education and information that you've missed from school or even just listening to other people's perspective and other people's walk through life, even Mm -hmm. if you don't want it for yourself I think it increases your empathy and your understanding and even your understanding of what you want for yourself when you really just open your ears up and listen to other people's experience um, a lot of the things we demonize or that we're afraid of your podcast hits on so it's very valuable to have in the world I will link it all below it's the doing it podcast and then books are available on your website anything else we need to promote I have a YouTube channel. I post like sex ed videos there and stuff. Yeah. I didn't even know that. I have to check it out. Yeah. I think that's how I found you is through YouTube first as well. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I did not even realize that. I well, there you go. Every day's a school day. <laughs> Beautiful. New subscriber right here. Yeah. Um, and that's it. We love you all so much. God bless. Thank you. Bye.